guys, thank you. All, all you who've been, been praying for me. Um, many of you know I, I had surgery 12 days ago. Uh, I had cancer in me, and now I don't, um, which is awesome. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the way you've, you've cared for me and, and cared for my family. Um, I told you and anyone else who would listen, um, yeah, I'm going to be down for about a week, and then I'm going to be up and running and, and good to go. And I got to the one-week mark and, and didn't feel, you know, 100% and realized my doctor never said that. I made that up. <laughs> Anybody else just kind of make up your own health care advice? Like, I'm going to be great. I'll be down for a week, and then I'm going to go run a marathon. And it was, it was <laughs> Bill Pernod, good friend, was like, when are you going to be able to golf? And I said, oh, probably, you know, four weeks. He goes, that's great because you can't golf at all right now. It's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. But, um, um, yeah, thank you. I. I told the nine o'clock service I'm I'm at about 65 percent, uh, but that was two hours ago. So I'm about 45 percent, which means you should have got up early and come to the first service. Um, the message will probably be have, wind up being better at nine, but it it could become more entertaining at 10:45. I I don't know. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Um, you may not need anything this morning, but Lord have mercy, I sure do. Uh, Jesus, we're so grateful for your presence. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you again. We know that you are here. And Lord, as we come to the end of, of your instruction to us, your encouragement to us through the Apostle Paul in Galatians, so much of that centered around grace, you working in us to do what we can't do in our own strength. And I just, I say this morning, God, I am such a candidate for your grace. I just need you to work in me and through me. Lord, any place where my words become confused, my thinking gets a little muddled, we just ask you to do a supernatural work of translation because I know you love your kids and there are some things that you want to say to us. So, so do what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's, here's what I want to do. Um, have, have you ever had, I do this with my mom all the time, have you ever had somebody come up to you and go, hey, did you know, and they tell you something and you totally knew it, but you hadn't thought of it for like six months. It's almost like it was new information, you know what I'm talking about? Thank you, one of you. Okay, listen, the more, the more you encourage me, the faster we're going to get through this. Um, my mom and I, we, we do that all the time. Do you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally knew that, but I hadn't thought of it in forever. And what I want to do is I want to go through each week that we spent together and just remind you of one kind of core truth from that Sunday. Uh, I, I went and I read through the notes of every message we taught. In that. that was a lot of information. Um, so proud of you for learning Galatians. But I just, I just felt like some of us might need to be reminded of a couple just specific truths. So there are just some things I want to share with you. I promise I'm going to get to week 13. Can you believe this is week 13 in this series? I am going to get to week 13, Paul's closing thoughts, and uh, we're going to be able to wrap it up together. So here's where I want to start. We're going to go week by week. So week one, week one we talked together about the gospel of grace. The book of Galatians, it begins and it ends with grace. Grace runs through every chapter, through every verse. We defined grace together as God working in us to do something that we cannot do in our own strength. And the gospel, the good news that Paul bases his entire letter on is found in chapter 1, verse 4. This is what he says. He says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. 
God gave his life. Jesus gave his life for our sins as God the Father had planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. God did something for us that we were powerless to do on our own. He stepped into our reality through Christ's death and resurrection to perform an act of rescue. That's what the word gospel means. Gospel is news of God's inbreaking kingdom and the rescue of his people through Christ's death and resurrection. And when we talk about his inbreaking kingdom, the rescue of his people, we talked about this is something that begins now when we surrender our lives to Christ. The rescue starts then. This is not something that happens when we die and we go off somewhere for eternity in Christ. God begins something the moment you and I surrender our lives to Christ. Now, Paul was writing to a group of people who were wrestling with this core truth of grace, being saved by an act of God rather than something we ourselves had done. If you remember, there was a group of people called Judaizers who were telling them that they had to follow Jewish law. And we said together that anything that adds human effort or human accomplishment to receive salvation or rescue is not the true gospel. It's not what God did plus what we do. It's what God did, period. You and I are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. Week two, we said your story matters. God's story is told through your story. Paul begins to unpack this for for his, his audience, the church in Galatia. In chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he starts explaining it this way. He says, listen, before I was born, God chose me, and he called me by his marvelous grace. This was something God did. This was not something I had done. If you remember Paul's story, he was actually on the road to a place called Damascus to persecute Christians. It says, then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul is saying again here that our salvation is a beginning point that invites us into a journey with Jesus whereby our story becomes part of the way that he moves his story forward. In that verse 15, he says five really powerful things. He said, listen, God did it. He did it by his grace. He did it through Christ. He did it for others and for his glory. Sometimes we think that being born again Getting saved is so we and I have a, uh, we have a right relationship with God and so we can go to the right place when we die. That is not how the early church understood salvation. It understood us being rescued from this present world in real time that we might now engage with God. And it do, it's done oftentimes by telling our story. And then we said, listen, telling our story isn't really complicated. Telling our story has three parts. Your life before Jesus. Paul's like, I was a jerk. Um, he says more than that. He said, you know, he's persecuting the church. But then, then the story of how you met Jesus, that, that moment where you encountered his spirit, you, you experienced his grace. And the third part of your story is what your life has looked like with Jesus. It's your story, but it's your story that points to Jesus. And your story is how God's story goes forward. Week three, we said, We're one people. This is a constant theme in the letter to the Galatians, that we are not a divided church, we are a united church. Um, We actually looked to Paul's letter to the Ephesians for a verse. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, say one people, 
one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Being united with Christ means being united with his people. Paul, again, he's writing to a church that had divided um, along some, some behavioral lines. And Paul is saying, listen, the gospel of Jesus is a unifying gospel. And because one of the ways that God tells his story is through his people, his people need to understand that they have been brought into one singular family. So we went on to say that any partiality we show one another in the church is a byproduct of our brokenness, not God's spirit. So what that means is we're, we're a very diverse, a very, very unique expression. Many of us see the world differently, walk through life differently, and yet we're united by this one Savior. So if there is a point in our corporate life together where we begin to identify division, we know from what Paul taught the Galatians, that's a point for us to go before the Lord and say, God, is there, is there brokenness in me that you want to deal with that we might actually be unified? Whenever we find division in a church, it's not a sign of God at work. It's a sign of our own brokenness. And because God is a healer, every time we identify brokenness, we bring it to Jesus and we are healed, we are reconciled, we are restored. So we discovered together that how we see Jesus, how we see God, has to impact how we see other people. We are, say it again, one body. We are one body. Weeks four and five kind of blended into each other. We, we did some, uh, some defining some of our terms, but the overarching idea of those two weeks was the difference between following tradition versus living in the truth. Um, when, when we are locked in to our traditions, if you're wondering what Sunday this was, this is the Sunday I showed up and preached in shorts. And some of you thought that the, the ceiling was going to come down on us because God cannot be proclaimed when a pastor is wearing shorts. I understand they're not the most attractive legs you've seen, but the point was any point that tradition, the way things always have been, begins to drive our response to God, others, or the gospel, we run the risk of missing a new thing that God wants to do. So Paul had gone to the Galatian church and he had preached the gospel of grace. And then these other guys came in and said, no, our traditions say God has to be worshipped this way. You have to observe these days, you have to be circumcised, yikes, and you have to do these other things as well. Traditions lock us into the past, can lock us, some of them are very healthy, but traditions can lock us into the past, but where God's truth is revealed, we're invited into newness. I told you the story of the Pharisees getting on Jesus' case one day. And they looked at him and said, why do your disciples violate our traditions? They're not washing their hands before they eat. They're, they're picking heads of grain as they're walking through the fields. In Matthew 15, 13, Jesus says, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? What's his point? When tradition becomes doctrine, we miss the heart of God. Tradition is informative. Tradition 
is encouraging. Tradition can show us how the church has thought in earlier days that helps us in the development of our doctrine. But when tradition becomes a barrier to the new things that God is doing, we have to step back and go, listen, have we made the wrong thing our priority? Because what Paul was explaining to the church is you've been redeemed. You've been bought back from slavery. He's teaching the church uh, you've been justified. And we talked about that means it's when God looks at you, it's just as if you had never sinned. You've been made righteous. God has given you now, he has restored you and given you the ability to do the right thing. So if you've been redeemed, if you've been justified, if you've been made righteous, why are you now leaning back into tradition instead of asking God, what is the purpose for which you have done this work in me? You tracking with me? So we get to position ourselves to respond to the Lord in newness because he has made us new. I'm going to skip that one. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I'm tracking my own stamina. And here we go. All right. Week six was just like, a, that, was a, that was kind of a family business. We, I shared some of my story and we just talked about, you know, what do you do when, when, when you have to wrestle with hard news? You hear things you don't want to hear and we just learn together that you just take that as an opportunity to be honest about what you're experiencing and yet lean into the goodness of God and trust him for your outcome. Then we got to week seven. Week seven had to do with, there was, there's this underlying question, if, if the law has been fulfilled, what is then meant to govern our behavior? And we said, listen, grace is the foundation and obedience is the response. The Judaizers were saying the law is the foundation. How you behave is your starting point. And if you behave correctly, then you will have favor with God. But Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 24, he says, listen, the law was our guardian. Say guardian. It was not our God. It was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now, because we have been made right with God through faith, we have experienced his grace, we obey, not because that's what gives us right standing with God, we obey because we have experienced his love, his faithfulness, and his forgiveness. So the grace of God, what he has done, is the beginning point, not legalism, what we have done. But because of what he has done, we respond in loving obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, right? He didn't say, obey my commands and I'll love you. So yes, we should behave as people who have been redeemed. Yes, our behavior should, should set us apart from those who don't know Jesus, but not in a legalistic sense. The starting point is not to make God love us. God already loves us. It's because he loves us that our behavior is meant to to change. The law, as Paul said, the law was just a guardian. It didn't give life. It regulated life. It had two functions, to show people their sin and to prepare the way for Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, Scripture says the law of God has been written on our hearts if we surrender our lives to him. And so we are able to, in our ongoing, healthy, loving, and dynamic relationship with God, begin to live out the things that he requires of us. 
not legalistically, but dynamically. Then we said in week eight, as members of God's family, we are all equal heirs of his promise. Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29, Paul says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, what we talked about, what we have to remember is Paul is writing to a church where there actually are Jews and Gentiles, male and female, and there are slaves and there are free. So what what is he really wanting to communicate? He is talking again about the hierarchical nature of the church in Galatia where they had come to understand that there were a group of people who had favor with God, those who were following Judaic law. And there were another people who were second class, that that the church had been stratified. And if this second class group of people wanted to move up, then they had to try to become something that they weren't. Though they were Gentiles, they had to now begin to behave as if they were actually Jews. So when Paul is saying there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, he's talking about hierarchies within a community. In the Jewish community, there was a hierarchy. Jews were higher than Greeks. Male were higher than female. And free were higher than slave. And Paul is saying in Christ that has been done away with. We are all equal. We are all co-heirs of Christ and equally heirs of his promise. There are no hierarchies in God's family. So again, as a church family, if we ever get to the place where we're looking around and we begin to see that we have stratified, there are people who seem to, to, to be more important than others. We have to go, well, that's not a sign of what God is doing. Again, that is a signal of some brokenness in us. God, what are we doing that is causing your church to be divided or people to be separated? There is no hierarchy in God's family. Week nine, you doing okay? It's a lot. I mean, it's machine gun, right? We're going through. We took 13 weeks. You're getting it in 20 minutes. Um, Week nine, what you worship will rule you. Um, This can be scary or this can be deeply encouraging because who gets to decide what you worship? You do. So Paul says in Galatians 4, he says, listen, Gentiles, before you knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that didn't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and the useless spiritual principles of this world? Galatians You were slaves, you were set free, and now you are letting people put the law in a place of governance over you. And whatever you align yourself with, whatever you place above you, whatever you begin to worship is going to govern you. It is going to rule you. The law was never a problem. The law was good. Paul said it was our guardian. It took care of us. It helped prepare the way for Jesus. But the church in Galatia had had come to the place where they began to worship the law. And because they were worshiping the law rather than depending on the grace of God, the law began to rule them. So 
sometimes when, when we think about, about worship, we, we think about whatever the object of our worship is, is bad. But it, it needn't be. The law was good. We just have to make sure that the things that we are beginning to serve, good though they are, don't come to the place where, where they begin to control us and they become an idol to us. And thank you, Jesus, we get to choose what we worship. So if what we worship will rule us, we just get to make the decision to consistently surrender ourselves to God in worship, and then the peace of God will govern us, will rule us, will control us. So, so we can read these as like, oh no, the sky is falling. I got to make sure I'm not worshiping something bad. Or we can go, I have been liberated in Christ to worship him. And as long as I am worshiping him, I'm going to be in a very self, safe and a very healthy place. You with me? Okay. Week 10. By the time we got to week 10, I'm having fun. I mean, not that I wasn't having fun before. But, but week 10 begins to speak of our freedom. And Galatians 5 verse 1 opens with this phrase. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And we said, what does it mean that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free? Well, quite, quite simply, we were always intended to be a people of freedom. Because there is purpose that is associated with or tied to our freedom. And we walked back in Scripture to the last time people were truly walking in freedom. And where do we find that? The Garden of Eden. They were living out who God had designed them to be. Adam and Eve created in the image of God, commissioned to care for, to steward, to rule over his creation. They were the imago Dei, the image of God. This was the story of creation. Humanity formed and commissioned to reflect God back into his creation. But when we sinned, we lost our freedom. We became, in the words of Paul, slaves to sin. Though we continued to carry the imago Dei, the image of God, it was fractured, and we were not able to be who we were designed, who we were created to be. So Jesus said, I'm going to fix that. He went to the cross. He broke the power of sin, hell, and the grave and set us free. Why? So we could be free. The story of new creation is us being set free to join Jesus on his mission of restoration and reconciliation. He has set us free so we could experience the fullness of the Imago Dei. We could experience the fullness of God's plan for us, the fullness of God's intent for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You and I, when we're born again, you are a new creation. You are an image bearer made righteous, to reflect God's goodness back into his creation. We, man, I'm going to start preaching and I can't because I'll pop a stitch. We, I see you, I see the, when he's like, whoo, that hurt a little bit. We're going to talk about this more in the new year. What God did in setting you free what God did in setting me free 
was to continue the work or to begin again the work he did in the garden. To unleash people who are made in God's image, who are carrying his spirit, and who are caring for his creation back into God's corrupted creation to make it whole again. I'm going to start shouting, so I need to stop. If we are going to do that, if we are going to live, I'm really doing okay. I'm really doing okay. If we are going to live into that calling, Pastor Caden told us in week 11, we must fall in line with the Holy Spirit. These aren't things that we're released, set free to do on our own initiative. They're things that we are sent to do, commissioned to do, as we live our lives in alignment with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.16, Pastor Caden taught us, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Sorry, that was Galatians 5.16. I, like I, like I just like to make up Bible verses. And Pastor Caden encourages us. He says, guys, this is a, this is a daily decision. And, and there is this conflict within us, though we were born again, where we keep being pulled back toward the flesh, but the Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. He, he used the phrase, fall in line with, walk by, keep in step with the Spirit of God. And we will, begin to, we will be able to continue to walk in this newness. Speaking of newness, week 12, you and I, we are new creation people. Say new creation people. This is who you are. There is something markedly different about you once you were born again. The work of the Spirit of God in you makes you unlike any other person who is still apart from God. And one of the things that can happen in you, to you, and through you is the Spirit of God begins to produce fruit. This is what the Scripture said in verse 22 of chapter 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is new creation. We are not like that before we come to Jesus. Some of us are still not like that, though we've come to Jesus. Yet we are a work in progress. He says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross. They have crucified them there. What does that mean? Let me remind you of what we learned together in that week. When people hear the, hear the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus, Scripture says they are made new. The Bible describes this renewal, describes being born again as a movement from death to life. And what is left behind as we move from death to life is the life in which this flesh determines who we are and how we behave. That is dead. And so God, by his spirit, because he has set us free, as long as we condition ourselves, discipline ourselves, as Pastor Caden said, to live in step with the spirit, we live out this new creation reality as these fruit begin to grow within us by the Spirit of God. And then I told you, with a certain degree of frustration in my own heart, that Paul doesn't give us a list of how-tos. Here's how you do it. But the reason he doesn't give us a list of how-tos is because it is the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us, 
Jesus said is the work of the, it is the job, the role of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to remind us of what God has taught us. And so what you and I are supposed to do is to live in a way that are, is listening to the Holy Spirit. And when he speaks, when he nudges us, our job is just to honor the nudge. Remember that? The, the day before I went into surgery, I was here at the office and, and somebody, uh, a friend of mine walks up with a bag in his hand and says, hey, my wife and I have something for you and, and Pastor Wendy. I'm like, cool, I like gifts. And I said, thank you, and I, and I, and I took it. It's always that, like, do I open it in front of you? Do I open it in the office? So I, I just took it inside. And, uh, and it was a T-shirt that he had made. It says, honor the nudge. Isn't that awesome? I've got one. Wendy's got one. So when you feel the Holy Spirit just going, hey, do that, say that, let's honor the nudge. Okay. Land in this plane here. Week 12, again, Pastor Caden said we, one of the things that we do as a church family is we bear with one another. Um, Paul said that there are no hierarchies, no Greek, Jew, no Jew, Gentile, slave-free, male, female. There is also no super-Christian and sinner in the church. Galatians 6, 2 said, share one another's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. And what Paul was talking about, as Pastor Caden laid out for, laid out for us there when he talked about burdens, is, is people who are sinning, people who are falling, people who are failing to miss the mark. And Paul's saying, listen, sin is heavy. It's a burden. Don't leave a family member in it. Come alongside. You're not going to get infected. You're not going to get polluted by it. Our job as a family is when somebody falls is to come alongside and lift them up. And he says we're to be gentle, not judgmental. And in so doing, we'll fulfill the law of Christ, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, because there are no hierarchies in God's family. One of the places we can subtly introduce hierarchies is the guys that look like they're doing it really right and the guys that look like they're really struggling. There's no hierarchies in God's family. And so if, if you look like you're doing really good, whether you are or not, it's another conversation for another day. If you see somebody who's not doing really good and they're struggling, our job is to come alongside and help elevate them. I love how we are as family. Okay, I have two minutes and 40 seconds to teach on the end of Galatians. Are you ready? We may be going five minutes over. So we get, well, I appreciate permission. I was going to do it whether you gave me permission or not. But if that makes you feel good, brother. As you read Paul's letters, and he's, he's had a bit of a tone throughout Galatians, right? There's been a little bit of name-calling. You know, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? As he gets to the end of almost every one of his letters, the father heart comes out again. And he just wants to call people back to what he feels is the most important. And so he says this as he gets to the end. Let me read to you Galatians 6, verses 7, 8, and 9. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who, only, who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, let me take you back to the first part, verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. That can sound super scary. But Paul is just, he's establishing a framework for the rest of the conversation. He's saying, listen, 
God has set some principles in place that are permanent, that are foundational, that are, are final. One of those is that you will always harvest what you plant. But here's the beauty. We have to hold that statement against what Paul has been talking about for this entire letter. Remember what he's been writing about. He's been talking about grace versus legalism. He's been talking about bearing burdens versus being judgmental. He's been talking about living in unity rather than as a divided family. He's been talking about honoring the nudge and following the spirit rather than serving the flesh. And he's saying to these people he loved, loves, we get to choose the kind of person, the kind of people, the kind of family that we are going to be. This is an invitation and an encouragement, not a He's not trying to scare somebody straight. He's saying, listen, God's judgment, God's justice can't be mocked. It's not going to be changed. You harvest what you plant. So you and I have the opportunity to take the lessons that Paul has taught through the totality of the book of Galatians and plant healthy seeds. And if you and I invest in unity rather than division, and following the Spirit rather than feeding the flesh, in bearing one another's burdens and extending grace to each other, the promise of Scripture is that we will reap a harvest of that same thing. This is a profound encouragement. Paul is like, guys, you get to determine what the field of your life or what the field of your church grows. And if you sow good seed, God promises you will reap a good harvest. And then this part of the verse that I don't like as much. You will reap a harvest of blessing at the right time if you don't give up. Wait a minute, Paul. That's why he starts with, God's not going to be mocked. His, he's, he's going to be faithful to his promise. So when you feel like giving up, when you feel like you've been trying to, to be gracious to someone, to be kind to someone, to be forgiving towards someone, and you aren't reaping the benefit yet, God's justice won't be mocked. That harvest will come. And another translation says, at the appropriate time if you don't give up. So Paul is saying, listen, your investment is not in vain. He is saying, stay the course. Don't be discouraged. God has promised. He has promised. He has promised that you will reap a harvest of blessing. And then verse 11. If you're following along in your Bible, uh, it might be in all caps like it is in my Bible. Paul says this. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Why, why would Paul say that? I thought Paul was writing the whole letter. Paul would dictate his, his letters to a scribe, and they would write. And as he comes to the, the end of this letter, the, the first letter we believe that he wrote to any of the churches that he planted, he turns to the scribe and he says, give me the pen. I want to add my own PS. I, I, I want them to see why are his letters bigger? I don't know. Maybe like me, his eyes are going. But he's like, I, I want to write one more thing to these people 
who we love, who I love. And so he shares this final deeply personal thought. Verse 15. He says, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is that is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and his mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are, you are, the new people of God. He's argued about grace versus legalism. He's argued about whether or not you have to be circumcised, whether or not you have to observe holy days. What does obedience look like? What does God honoring look like? At the end of the day, he says, listen, let me tell you the one thing that really truly matters. What counts is whether or not we have been transformed into a new creation. This is a work that only the Spirit of God can do. Do you remember where we started this letter? Do you remember where we began? Verse 4, the very first chapter. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as the Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Not, not by taking us out of it, but by freeing us from its power so that we can fulfill God's mandate to care for his creation. We can be his image bearers, the Imago Dei that reflects his goodness, his glory back into his creation. You are how the Spirit of God is carried forth. Israel was known throughout the Old Testament as the people of God. When you looked at them, you saw there was something different about them. They didn't behave like everyone else behaved. When you went to their camp, you found that the presence of God was with them, hovered over their tabernacle. You and I are the new people of God. When people look at us, they say there is something different about them. And as they get near to us, they realize that we too carry the Spirit of God. And you and I are able to usher them into His presence. We are the new people of God. We're going to spend some time in the new year talking through that idea. Things like the creation mandate four-chapter gospel, what it means to be involved in the kingdom now. But for now, as we come to the end of Galatians, I just want you to know that you have been initiated into the plans and the purposes of God by virtue of his work on the cross and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are the people of God. It's good news, isn't it? Can I pray for you? I want to pray for you. Lord, you, you teach us that your mercies to us are new every morning and your faithfulness to us is great. Lord, sometimes we we read and we learn and it doesn't get from our head to our heart that God I as we have walked through this book together there are so many things that I have known that have become not a not an understood reality but a lived reality not only for myself but for the rest of our church family God I ask that you would help us to live 
as the new people of God. Lord, for any this morning, either present with us or together with us online, who would somehow feel disconnected or discounted because they're trying to live into this reality, but they haven't seen the harvest of blessing yet, we just remember your word says, your justice can't be mocked, your promises are true. We will receive a harvest if we don't give up. So we are meant to continue doing good. Jesus, we love you. We'll continue to follow you. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.